You're listening to Lead, Sell, Grow, the Human Experience Podcast. I am your host, Eric Konovalov, and I believe that we can achieve everything we want if we take our leadership, sales ability, and personal growth to a higher level. On this show, we share ideas on how to break through our invisible boundaries, start taking steps towards our dreams, and create the life we desire. I invite you to open your mind to new possibilities, new ideas, and to the truth that everything you want is possible for you. Thank you for being here and welcome to the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Lead, Sell, Grow, the Human Experience podcast. If you have not done so yet, get your butt over to Facebook, join the Lead, Sell, Grow, Human Experience mastermind group so we can connect in a more uh, intimate way there, answer some questions, chat, talk. I want to hear some ideas for new shows, things like that. This show is, by the way, sponsored by The Long Walk Home. It's a it's an organization that is a nonprofit here in Florida, and they are focused on helping prevent veteran suicide. I happen to be on a board, so I'm going to give them a shout out every chance I get. Um, now that we got that fun stuff out of the way, I want to introduce my guests today. And yes, it's two guests. It's going to be two against one. And I'm going to tell you guys, I'm not intimidated by you at all. Please welcome Bob Jordan and Olivia Wagner uh, to the show. These guys are the co-founders of Interim Execs. What they do is they help organizations globally find the best leaders for the right positions. Right now, companies are hurting. They don't know how to find leaders. They don't know how to develop leaders. They, they promote their best salespeople into a leadership role, which hurts them even more in the long run. Also, they just released their new book, Right Leader, Right Time, and we're going to hear all about it. Bob, Olivia, welcome to the show. Thanks so Thanks much, Eric. Us, Eric. I got to tell you, I'm not intimidated by you. That's all I'm saying. Well, you should be, not by me, but by <laughs> Olivia. Yeah, Olivia, that's why I'm, <laughs> I'm just thinking of you. Watch out. <laughs> All right. So tell me about it. Let's start off with your organization. I mean, I read your bios, extensive, extensive history of entrepreneurship, starting an online magazine, um, starting a huge kind of social network and, and creating it to thousands of members to then getting together and forming interim execs. What's interim execs all about? So we um, have been running interim execs for the last 10 years now. Uh, we match organizations with interim fractional CEOs, CFOs, execs across the C-suite. And um, this tends to be uh, companies coming to us that are going through change, points of uh, transformation where maybe they have uh, don't have the internal resources to help them or they are just too strapped for time. So bringing in an interim to help them put efficiencies in place, clean up finances, uh, prep for sale. There's a lot of different use cases, but ultimately we've interviewed thousands of executives through the years, um, kind of got this front row seat to seeing what separates the rock stars from the rest. And um, for us, it really comes down to mindset and how leaders are really wired for action. Uh, they know their strengths and uh, that's kind of what brought us here today. Awesome. Olivia, let me ask you, so are these interim execs, are they your employees that you're hiring and putting them on site or do you find them and then the person negotiates with the company? 
So we built a kind of go-to team we call our red team that stands for rapid executive deployment. And mm-hmm. those are execs that specialize in this, kind of dedicated their career to taking on interim roles. Um, so with that uh, trusted network, we're able to tap into executives when needs arise and deploy them as kind of independent contractors to us. So with an interim, you're getting no employee-employer uh, relationship, no severance, no benefits. It's really focused on results. Oh, that's huge. And if you don't like the person, there's no HR issues either. They just come to you and say, hey, that's not a really good team fit. Yeah. And that person's no longer there. Wow. What a great, what a great business model. Bob, why are you so quiet? Well, normally I'm the blabby one and I just figured <laughs> let's, let's give it a shot here because it made sense. Olivia's intimidating. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Right. I like to start off with a few laughs. And by the way, for you listeners, I'm somewhat interviewing for a job right now, hoping that they offer me a position on their red team down the road to help sales team. Sell. No, I'm, You're on it, buddy. I'm on it. There we go. Well, seriously, sales, sales management is a recurring theme because what company doesn't want more? Mm. The question for a lot of companies showing up on our, on our doorstep is, are you really serious about it? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I call it cat herding, uh, sales management, kind of one and the same. So you guys came up with kind of your own assessment. And for those of you who have been listening to my show for a while, you know that I'm certified in DISC. I'm certified with predictive index. So I absolutely love assessments. But yours focuses on right leader, right time, right place, right? Well, so what we identified over the years was that there were four distinctive patterns of leadership style that worked. There's a lot that doesn't work. The majority of executives showing up on our doorstep, frankly, they're not all that great. And there's no way we could build a winning team around them. If, if we were to kind of sum it up, it would be that a lot of leaders try to be all things to all people. That is a failing strategy. The problem is, I mean, that's easily said. The problem is a lot of people actually do that. Successful leaders do not. They tend to double down, triple down. They, they keep a strong focus. Those four styles are fixer, artist, builder, and strategist. And as Olivia said, we have a ringside seat. And what we started observing was how expert and excellent executives did better when in the right situation at the right time. That's why we felt we had to write about it. Huh. Okay. Let me ask you something. Are these skills or these, what do you call these personality traits, leadership skills? We say style or mode. Mode styles. Okay. It refers to process approach system style. Okay. These styles, are they something people are born with or is this something that they kind of carve as they go through their leadership experiences? That is a great and key question. We would say that you kind of, you forge your own path as you go through your career. It would be incredibly hard for example, at the age of 22, to know with certainty how you would arrive at what we would call a highest and best use. It really is something that only comes out with practice. Same thing as learning to ride a bike. You can hear about riding a bike all you want, but until you actually get on a bicycle, 
and you have to pedal and you realize you need forward momentum or you're going to fall down, that's what leadership is. Falling down from I think, a bike? Um, leaders tend to kind of gravitate towards these type of roles. If you really take a step back and say, when were the situations you were completely energized by? Feeling, you, you know, you were in a mode of growth, expansion, excitement, that typically is kind of pointing to what we would call your dominant leadership style. Um, and when you, when we look at opportunities presented to us from organizations, usually we're looking at how an executive is wired, a leader is wired to figure out, is there a good match? Not even in just skill set, but just kind of that wiring. Okay. So talk to me about you guys. So you both are running this company. Who's who? What's your, what's your leadership mode? Oh, I'm so strongly artist. It's not funny. Okay. Yeah. I, I, and, and artist leaders do what they do to their own peril. We write about this a lot. It is a very conflicted kind of thing because for most artist leaders, they feel compelled. It is not necessarily they're going to earn the most amount of money. It is that that urge to create, to have a blank canvas, to have a piece of clay they can mold is so overpowering, it can be to their detriment. Who else would fall into that artist leader? Could you give me some famous people that we know that the, might fall into that? The, the easiest and most famous leader in the world who shows artist is Elon Musk. And you oh, can yeah. see part of what is to his peril, which is, for example, he's in trouble with the SEC because he tweets inappropriately. You would never see the CEO of Federal Express or the, you know, the CEO of General Motors. They would never just be flipping off tweets in the middle of the night because they felt like it. Elon is driven by a innovation streak by his creativity and it's to the benefit of the world. He's amazing. But, but you will hear him say, we quoted him in the book, not from an interview we did, but he was quoted during a trial about six months ago. And he said how much he dislikes the part of management that does not let him work on engineering and product advancement. Classic artist. Wow. What about you, Olivia? Where do you fall? Um, I'm definitely more builder oriented. So um, if you look at the builder, they are really focused on markets to go into growth mode, um, putting the foundation and structure in place to kind of uh, get to that next stage of growth. So looking at the people, the process, um, the products, that, that tends to be the wiring of a builder. Oh, wow. And who are some famous people that would fall as under the builder mode? Um, you know, I think that we often, if you look at who we kind of uh, highlighted in Right Leader, Right Time, um, many of the leaders tend to have a little bit of this repeat track record of going into one organization, building it up, and moving to uh, the next. So um, one of the leaders that we uh, highlighted, Russ Reader, went into a company, built it from scratch and uh, sold it to GoDaddy, moved into another technology company, did the same. So that's the type of uh, repeat uh, pattern, I guess you'd see amongst builders. Oh, wow. Builders okay. are a lot less visible because 
our definition of builder is take a team, take a product, grow it. At some point, they're going to want to move on when it hits IPO, when it hits scale. They are not, for example, the same as a strategist. Stratist, strategist is someone who rises through the ranks and becomes that person who is the head of a corporation. Someone like Mary Bear at General Motors, she's a strategist. Hmm. So why is it important for leaders of these companies to really understand these different modes and to read your book prior to hiring their, their next leader? I'll, I'll put it the way one of the guys we interviewed, there's a group called Tiger 21, the founder, Michael Sonnenfeld. We, we, were, we interviewed him. We were talking about fixers, artists, builders, and strategists. And he said, he said, you know, you're giving me a, a new perspective I'd never thought of before. He said, we were investors in a company once and it was in trouble. And when it was in trouble, we had the most amazing CEO. He said, but you know, come to think of it, after he solved the problem, he wasn't so good anymore. And it was a great example, which is that person, he was perfect in that role. Once the problem had been solved, he needed to move on. Fixers are adrenaline junkies. Fixers need to run into the burning building. And when the fire is out, their highest and best use Go find another burning building. Ah, so when we say leaders, that's not necessarily the CEO of a company. Like, do you want no. a fixer as the CEO? Probably not, right? I mean, we want somebody stable as a CEO. It depends what the organization is going through. Huh. For organizations going through massive disaster, you look at, you know, the financial crisis, Lehman Brothers, you look at a disaster before that, Enron, they absolutely needed fixers, even though those were massive organizations. They were way past, you know, we're just building, we're growing, we're doing new products. No, 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 no. It's all about survival. It's all about triage. It's a way to think about building leadership teams. And, you know, as you as a company grows, startup to 10, 25 million, 100 to a billion, you're going to need different skill sets at those different points. Um, and inevitably, you hit bumps along the way. So, um, you know, as Bob pointed out, the fixer comes in, fixes, puts out the fire. They probably need to look for their next problem to solve versus kind of creating a new problem because that's their wiring. You know, an artist um, who is craving the act of creation, they're not going to thrive in an organization that is kind of squashing that. Um, and at the same point, the company that is not making sure that they have an artist leader on the team is probably gonna be falling to competition because they're not innovating. They're not taking those continual steps forward. Um, so you can see how each one of these leaders may be needed at different points and how um, you can think about bringing in those complementary teams and, and seeing that collaboration is kind of key uh, to successful outcomes. How much of the so I always, you know, when I was in a leadership role, we would hire based on can do, will do, team fit. You know, you put the right leader on the wrong team, they're not, <laughs> they're, they're not going to do too well, right? So a couple of questions for you. How do you figure out whether, we could probably easily figure out if the person is capable of doing the job. How do you figure out if they will do the job in this environment? So if you mean specifically in our work? In your work, yeah. Yeah. Um, you're hitting on the key point there. We, we created something called match matrix in our, in our business. And it looks at these 
nine key areas in terms of is there a fit between a leader and an organization? And the highest point of it is chemistry. Mm. And chemistry, it's above our pay grade to go figure that out. The only way chemistry figures is that that leader needs to get exposed to the owners, to the board, to the team. And they're going to make their own intuitive and gut call. And so is the organization. And, and we want that to be the most open process and a process most open to everyone just saying no if it doesn't if it does not make sense yeah no that's that's great what do you find what do you guys find the biggest gap is between the way hr managers and organizations are hiring leaders to the way they should be doing it based on your approach like what are they missing well hr is a necessary function as as organizations grow in size, but we're not fans of impeding the relationship between um, a leader and somebody working for them. And so even between a CEO and a C-suite team or between a division president or head of project and those professionals there, in our work, um, there there has to be that chemistry and that fit um, between all of those people. So organizations by necessity need they need the management and what HR is bringing, but it can't get in the way of that relationship. Okay. And is we're building there, that relationship. I think a lot of times um, companies tend to focus so much on the title too, versus what is the problem that needs to be solved? And is someone actually wired to tackle that? Um, and that's where I think if you take a step back and look at kind of someone's wiring their leadership style, a lot of times that may cross over industries. Um, we get calls a lot where someone's saying, hey, I need someone with this very, very specific experience. I mean, at least in the world of interim, we see executives, a lot of the most successful ones, being able to jump in um, to a wide array of assignments, but kind of be able to provide a fresh outside perspective because of that. That is so interesting. So Eric, can I... Uh... Take, can I take a guess, a shot at you? Yeah. You clearly have artist wiring because you literally have voice. Of all the careers you could have chosen, your career includes podcasting, successfully mm. podcasting. You're one of the top podcasters. Thank you. That literally is a definition of, of someone who has artist wiring. At the same point, because you're a sales pro, you've been a sales pro and a sales coach, You've got strategist wiring in there because you are incredibly concerned with building and aligning teams. Am, am I on target or off? Yeah, no, you're on target, a hundred percent. You know, once you we, we would say, you, you know, all of DNA. You know, we use this example in the book that DNA are these these. You know, there are only four components, right? The nucleotides that make up DNA. But all living organisms are this infinite combination of those, those four proteins. And in the same way, we would say for all leaders, all successful leaders are elements of, of fixer, artist, builder, and strategist. The question is, what is the dominant mode and how much do you reinforce that? Mm. How do you decide or how do you help them decide uh, okay, so in my experience, when I work with organizations and I try to figure out kind of how to help them develop their leaders, 
Olivia, what you said was right on point. What's the main problem you'd like to fix? So <laughs> sometimes I'm working with sales teams and I'll sit down with, you know, the CEO, the, the VP and the sales manager, and I give them a small piece of paper each. And I say, without saying anything, write down your number one goal for this year. And the amount of times that they're completely different goals for everybody, <laughs> like nobody's on the same page. They don't know what they're doing. How do you get them to acknowledge their biggest problem that they need to fix? Um, what was the stat? Like 95% of employees don't know their company's strategy or, or something to that extent. I mean, um, I, it, it starts with leadership, right? And, and trying to uh, create alignment around a common vision, mission, and, and letting everyone understand where they fit in that puzzle. Um, and this is what, what you, I think, has been kind of echoed through the book, too, and, and how executives, leaders have shared um, what has ultimately led to their most successful outcomes. Part of what we need to, to remember as well is there's no arriving uh, in, in leadership or where companies are. There's simply a process of continually improving. Well, it's the line you use, Eric, on your site. You say, if you're not moving forward, you're dying, right? I made uh, that we, up all by myself. It wasn't uh, quoting anybody famous. There you go. <laughs> well, actually, the follow-up question for you is, if you truly believe that, are you going to ever retire? No. Right on. Right on, I mean, brother. Yeah, I don't. I'm kind of retired now, to be honest with you. I do what I want when I want with whom I want. And I, I'm just fine. That's why I'm on a board for nonprofit. I do this podcast. It's, you know, not like I get paid for it. This is just the fun stuff. Yes. And it's yeah. good you're doing it. Yeah, no, that's what it's all about. So help me understand, like, I'm still trying to figure out, like, there are companies that know they know that that something's missing, but they don't know that you're the you're the you're the solution to that missing piece. Like they'll never say, "Huh, we got to call you know Olivia and Bob because we have this problem." They just you know they have a retention problem. People aren't staying with that leader. They have a production problem. They have an effectiveness and efficiency problem. They're losing deals to their competitors. All that's happening, and they don't know it's the leader. How do, you, how do they wake up and say, okay, maybe we need to call these guys to help us out? Well, it, it's a great question. I'll tell you, we, we, we do live in a new world in the sense that pre-internet, what that leader would have done, call someone on their board, call their lawyer, their accountant, uh, consultant, they would have called somebody. Now, a lot of people, whenever, the middle of the night, the middle of the day, they do a Google search. I mean, what blew us away, we launched Red Team, as Livia said, we, we launched Red Team about eight years ago. And one of the most amazing things to me, I was sitting in the office one day, it was 8 a.m., phone rings, still at an office phone, and a guy calls and he starts telling me this problem he has, that he has a business, $2.3 billion invested in it, and it's underwater. And he says his name, and I realize he's a Forbes 400 billionaire. Wow. He did a Google search. He picked up the phone. 
He didn't call anyone on his board. He didn't call his lawyer. He just did his own Google search. So the world is not, it's, things are different than, than they used to be for, for good nil. The internet also allows every long tail um, possibility you could ever imagine. But in the sense of a business like ours, through a lot of work on content, it is possible to build a global business that is not based just on word of mouth. It's not just our friends who say, oh, you should, you should call interim execs. It's something that we get found every day. Oh, that's great. Congrats for being in that position. So what's your favorite chapters in the book? We'll go with Olivia. Oh, geez. Um, I am biased in that probably builder since I'm, I'm uh, wired that way. But, you, you know, it? we kind of have a structure for the book where each leadership style, we dive into detail, starting with um, kind of a feature story of one specific fixer, one artist, one builder, one strategist. And then from there, we're diving into kind of the DNA makeup of that leadership style. And uh, from there, just kind of the unique approach um, from each uh, leadership type. And why is it important for people to know that? Like if I'm hiring leaders on my team, why is it important for me to know their style? Um, You know, I mean, when thinking about building teams, you want to be able to bring in complementary skill sets and also play to the exact challenge at that time, which is going to change. Um, I think Reid Hoffman, uh, CEO of LinkedIn, talks about tour of duty. You know, someone goes into a role, solves that challenge, they're moving on to the next challenge when, when it changes, the needs change. So understanding how different strengths can play, I think is key. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So when somebody's reading the book, they, they understand, you know, I read the builder. Okay. I get that's the DNA makeup. How will they be equipped to know that when they're interviewing somebody that that person's a builder after they read the, the chapter, or is there, is there an assessment that they should give to understand? We're developing um, an assessment tool. It's called Fab's Leadership Assessment. It's in beta right now. It's going to be up on the new website. The book launches in 14 days and at rightleader.com and the uh, assessment will be up there and it's free and we welcome everyone to help out by taking it. They'll help themselves by learning more about their leadership style and they'll be helping us because this research goes towards making more valid results out of this. Hmm. How, how difficult is it to create one of those assessments? Incredibly. If you think about the years and hundreds of thousands of people that take something like DISC or Colby or StrengthsFinder and where it is statistically significant, where it has valid results, um, I guess we just set ourselves a really good mountain to climb. The book took five years. The building out in full the assessment, that's probably a five to 10 year project. Oh my gosh. You know, a lot of people that used to be I mean, you know, Eric, because you've authored a book. It, it, it used to be people would think you author the book. It's like you delivered the Ten Commandments and you're done. You're not done. That's when, the beginning. When the book comes out now, it's like that's just the start of the marathon. That's it. You know, you either suit up for something really long afterwards or you're never serious in the first place. So 
we signed up for this. Hey, good for you. That's like, that's the equivalent of, you know, a woman being pregnant and thinking it's all over once she gives birth, right? I mean, no, 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 that's, that's the beginning. <laughs> that's all a right. good analogy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I've used that one before. Bob, what's your, um, what's your favorite chapter in the book and why? Well, there's a, there's a story, there's a story we put in there that had been told to us years before, but a guy named Dame Miller, he was the founder of a company called Biomet. They were one of the original inventors. He's one of the inventors of artificial hips and knees. Um, and he was early in the industry and early in the industry, they were experimenting with stainless, stainless steel. And he thought it was gonna rust and it couldn't be used in the human body. And he thought you had to use titanium. Everyone thought he was crazy. And so one day he was in Indiana Biomed headquarters and there was this, he called it a perfect storm. Tornadoes from both directions shut down power at the plant in the town and they weren't gonna be in production for a week. And he called a friend who was a surgeon and he said, I want you to implant a piece of titanium in my arm. And the friend was like, you're crazy. I'm not going to open up your arm just for your little whim. And he convinced him. And he kept the titanium in his arm for 10 years to prove a point. And now in the industry, it's just accepted fact. You have to use titanium for artificial um, hips and knees for joints. But Dane proved the point with his own body. Wow. And the example I just thought was so wonderful of, of someone who committed every part of himself to what he believed. And we first interviewed him way back when we did the book, how they did it. But the story I thought was so good, we had to highlight it in right leader, right time. What a great story. I actually worked for Stryker and sold some of those instruments and plate. Yeah. And yeah, that was a, that was a small world. Was that behind you, Bob? Are those paintings? Yeah. I think so they're Van Gogh. The artist for me is I'm an artist and this is my studio and my um, office at home. So you actually painted those. So you're an artist leader and you're an artist painter. Yeah. I got to do something to not go crazy during the week. And so I paint on the weekends. That is really cool. What do you enjoy? I got a gallery show coming up in August. We'll invite you to Chicago, Eric. I don't go to Chicago. <laughs> Summertime. Buddy. How about you come August. down to Florida and, and do a show? Here? <laughs> your, your warm blood will be able to handle it in August. No, I love, I, listen, Chicago is a beautiful city. And I've been there in summertime. I think it's it'll be wonderful. Yeah, I'll I'll think you're going to bring your boys. You're going to bring your boys, the Cubs, the Sox, the Bulls, the Hawks. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Nah. There's <laughs> some beaches. We got some beaches. I, mean. I might take you up on that. OK, fair enough. We do need to we do need to have a trip in, in the summertime. OK, um, what should I ask you that I'm not asking you or haven't asked yet? Well, I don't know how I would necessarily phrase it as a question. I have a feeling this would resonate with you, though, which is a lot of people talk about leadership. I think we all need to be talking about accountable leadership. There's a lot of what goes on in the world that is not really taking responsibility. It, it's dodging. One of the guys in the book, when we were interviewing him about how it was, he was starting a pharmaceutical company. He said, well, you know, in a large company, a lot of people, you can hide. And I thought that's an incredible phrase. And what he meant was 
when when everything's on the line, when you're growing really fast, there's no room to hide. And you see this in the world a lot that people hide. And I think we got to be we need to be taking a stand for accountable leadership. Okay, so define that for me. I'll give you an example. The former CEO of Wells Fargo was called to testify in Congress because Wells Fargo was cross-selling. They called it cross-selling. They opened up accounts for people who had bank accounts, but they never knew they were opening up second or third accounts and charging them fees on it. And every quarterly conference call the CEO got on, he kept on telling Wall Street, our cross-sales, the cross-selling is is incredible and the revenues are going up and up and up. And finally, everyone figured out it's a scam. The managers were forcing this. Millions of accounts were being opened that consumers didn't even know anything about. Did the CEO so know? Gets, what's that? Did the CEO know that that's what was going on? Well, so he finally gets dragged into, into Senate hearings and they say, what about it? And he says, in effect, he said, it wasn't me, it was the board. Uh, I can't do anything without the board. And it was like, are you kidding me? Are you serious? A Fortune 100 company, and this is how you show your leader. This is what you've got. This is the game you got. Oh, Robert so just got pissed. To say, say that, Olivia? <laughs> I like that. You, you really you got the up there. Yeah. You're passionate about this. It's crazy. And, and so, yes, he was barred from ever uh, serving in banking again, but it's like, seriously? Okay, so an accountable leader would have said, yep, that was under my watch. It's me, I will take care of it. Here's what we did wrong. Here's what needs to get fixed. And we will refund everybody's money. That would be one move. The other one might've been someone early on, earlier on saying, you know, Wall Street demands quarterly results, but we're not gonna get it this way. It's just wrong. That's if he knew. Assuming he knew, I'm just, if I'm a CEO of that company, I probably would saying not the, know. Yeah, I get it. Yes, you're, counts, right. you're right. If he didn't really know about it, there comes right. a point um, when he learns about it, and that is the point to take action. True. Okay. Where did you guys learn about leadership? Well, personally, I've always been in the position of starting or helping other folks start companies. So I threw myself into it, I guess I'll say. All right. Tell me about the biggest mistake you made as a leader. Uh, today or just in general, like <laughs> yesterday? I mean, always. If you're really going to put yourself out, I mean, look, I started the first magazine in the world that covered online services. I was 26 and by 28, it went bankrupt. Ouch. I was a failure at 28 in business. That's not fun. I mean, now I can say, you know, it was a learning experience and a blessing. It made me far, far uh, better and more empathetic. I was arrogant. Um, but at the time, it was just mistake after mistake. I mean, even in growing interim execs, the road to get here was painful at times. You know, when we started working together, this was kind of a free open social network for interim executives, like-minded leaders. Um, and we had to have a hard conversation one day, which is, we got to scrap it, start fresh. And um, that's what ultimately brought us to today, where we're making matches between leaders and executives. I would like to say we could have just, you know, skipped to the end part here. But 
I don't know that we would be doing what we are today effectively without having gone through that. What what Olivia is talking about is we failed at this twice. We had one first version, pure social network, and that was a bust. But it took us three years to figure out it was a bust. We thought the world would want a free search engine that just go find executives on your own, right? We live in a Google-driven world. Everybody wants stuff for free. We were 100% wrong. Isn't that called LinkedIn? (laughs) Um, LinkedIn wouldn't work because if you just go do a search, you're going to come up with over a million profiles. So that wasn't it. But we thought just like a Google search, if we just have a directory of five or 10,000 executives, there you go. We were dead wrong. Mm. And everyone, you know, Silicon Valley, it's always pivot, fail fast. Well, that's easily said when it's your money and you just feel like you've wasted three years of your life, not so much fun. Yeah. And it's tough to see the picture when you're inside the frame with your own beliefs. Completely. Okay. Got it. So how did you realize it? As Olivia said, there was a day when we said, well, first of all, the revelation for me was a private equity fund manager called up. Here we built this beautiful search engine, thousands of executives on it. And he calls up and he says, we need a CFO. And it like blew me away. I'm like, you, you're you on the site. You just had to type into the search box, CFO New York. And I said that to him and he said, no, I want you to tell me who to hire. Yeah. And I thought, oh God, we got it 100% wrong. It was painful. You created a cheesecake factory menu. That's what you did. <laughs> Nobody's like making decisions. Factory. I like Cheesecake Factory, but I'm not making any decisions on the food. I'll be the waitress will be really pissed off sitting there. Can watching. I tell you what I did for one of my birthdays for my pre-COVID birthday? Was that? Well, in Chicago, there's a Cheesecake Factory on Michigan Avenue. And I called them up and I said, I want one of every kind of cheesecake you have. Nice. You'd think they would look at it like, wow, social media, this guy wants 40 or 50. Full cakes or slices? Slices. Okay. And then I invited 25 friends over with a lot of sporks where you dip. Cheesecake Factory couldn't care less. They were like, yeah, whatever. So whatever. So we picked up all the cheesecake, brought it home. This was like a month before everybody went into lockdown, before we all started wearing masks, but it was awesome. They were really good cheesecakes. I bet. Yeah. yeah what a great, what, what inspired you to have that idea? Being very hungry one day, I was in Cheesecake Factory, (laughs) seeing all these cases. And I said to my daughter, wouldn't it be cool if you could have every single one? She said that. There's a way. Where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. Yeah. And now you're, yeah. Am I giving you an idea, Eric? (laughs) I'm not too much on sweets. But I do like your cheesecake. Um, Okay. Well, let me ask you this. So you guys are going to create this new whole way of assessing leadership modes. What did you find that was missing with everything that's out there with Myers-Briggs, with PI, with DISC, with Strength Finder? What's going to be different about your assessment? Well, first of all, we're going to see. At the moment, it's still an experiment. Okay. And, and it is to be determined if it will have validity. Personally, hypothesis? It is that based on our own practice, 
of matching leaders and corporations that leadership style does matter and that these other measures don't cover that. There are, there are all kinds of personality-based profiles like Myers-Briggs. There are intelligence-based profiles like you know, Wonderlich. There are cognitive profiles like Colby, K-O-L-B-E. They're all wonderful at, at different aspects. And we didn't see one that was looking at the process, the approach, the system by which a leader has success. Wow, sounds very, very interesting. Very interesting. We'll send it to you. We're, we're gonna see if we're right here about artist strategists for you. Okay, yeah, send it to me and I'll show you, you know, my results for DISC and we'll compare the two and see what that does. And PI too, I have predictive index as well. Awesome guys, well, I'm super excited. So your book is available on Amazon. Right leader, right time. Yes. Very cool. Both co-authors. Um, thank you guys so much for being here. Did I? Is there anything else that you want to get out into the world that we may not have covered before I let you guys go? Eric, we covered cheesecake. What, what more would we need to touch on here? <laughs> we did cover cheesecake. We, we didn't realize that wasn't your, your strong suit, but, you know, we talked about it anyway. I go with the flow. <laughs> <laughs> Olivia, it's been Bob. great. We're honored. We're honored. Thank you. Yes. For, uh, Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you guys for being here. Looking forward to reading your book. Thanks, Eric. Take care. Bye, guys. You've listened to another episode of Lead, Sell, Grow, the Human Experience podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave us a nice review. And if you're not a part of our tribe on Facebook, be sure to head over to Facebook and join lead sell grow the human experience tribe i look forward to speaking with you in the tribe have a great day